This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today I've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is T.W. Shannon. So he is running to represent the state of Oklahoma as one of its two United States senators. So he was one of the top two vote-getters in the June 29th Republican primary here in the state of Oklahoma. He got 17.5% of the vote. Uh, He will be part of a runoff election, which will be held on August the 23rd, so just here in a few weeks, to determine who will represent the Republican Party in the general election on November the 8th of this year. So in order to help Oklahoma Republicans with their decision on August 23rd, and so that people outside of Oklahoma can hear from a politician that will very likely become a member of the U.S. Senate, I interview, or I'm interviewing both of these guys. So I'm interviewing uh, T.W. Shannon and his runoff mate, Mark Wayne Mullen, and I'm releasing these on the same day. So guys, you're going to see these interviews back to back because, you know, I'm interviewing both of these gentlemen because... I want you to be able to understand who you're going to potentially be voting for. But also, again, like I said, for people that are outside of the state, who are these people that are going to be on the U.S. Senate? How are they going to discuss things? And and guys, to be honest, I did my best to conduct the interviews in a way that allows for you to easily compare and contrast their answers on a load of important topics. Now, there were certain topics and certain follow-up questions that I asked them that were a little bit different. It's just kind of the way that it, that it worked out. But hopefully, it's apparent to you when you listen to this that I tried to be as down the line as possible uh, while also challenging them on certain topics and things like that. But TW, he currently serves as the president and CEO of Chickasaw Community Bank and is the state highway commissioner for Central Oklahoma. In 2006, he was elected to the Oklahoma House of of representatives. And in 2013, he became the youngest and first black person to be the speaker of the, of the house for the state of Oklahoma. In 2017, he was selected as a fellow for the Institute of politics at the Harvard Kennedy school. And he has his Juris doctorate from Oklahoma city university. So guys, I really enjoyed my time with him. We get into a lot of different topics. We get granular on some things that are specifically going to affect America as we move forward. So hopefully you guys enjoy my discussion with TW Shannon. So without further ado, let's get into it. T.W. Shannon, welcome back to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Kyle, man, it is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. It's been too long. It has been too long, but don't worry. We will remedy that before too long. You've been a little busy here recently, so I guess I can forgive you for that. But we're going to get to know you a little bit in this episode, and obviously you guys know that you've been on the show before, but we've got a lot of things to talk about uh, because you're running for the United States Senate. And the funny thing about the last appearance on my show is I think I asked you about whether or not you'd be going back into politics, and you were like, oh, I don't know. And, And then here we are. So I guess let's start as generically as we possibly can. And I hate asking this because it sounds so political and so cheesy, like a news story guy. But why are you running for the United States Senate? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a privilege. As you know, I'm a big fan of yours personally and of the podcast. I just appreciate the way that you're standing in the gap in the ministry of how you minister to men. Uh, But the reason I'm running for the Senate is because I'm concerned about the direction of our country. I mean, when you listen to the narrative that's coming out of Washington, D.C., that appears to say that America... It used to be a pretty okay place, and it still is pretty good if you come from a specific zip code or background or heritage. But overall, it's too systemically racist or it's too uh, far gone uh, relic of the past to be relevant anymore. And it's just not true. America is not the home of systemic racism. America is the home of systemic opportunity. And I'm running for the U.S. Senate because I believe I have a skill set that can remind the country about what made America great, because we talk about that a lot what made America great. And I certainly want to make it great again. But what made America great were three things. It's the Constitution, it's capitalism, and it's Christianity. And I'm running for the U.S. Senate 
to return to those three things. So we're going to dig a whole lot more into, into all those areas, especially when we get into specific topics. But yeah. I guess for you for right now, you used to be in politics and, and then you kind of, you've been in the private sector. So I guess just generically, what do you think it will be like if you are elected to the United States Senate, leaving the private sector behind and then going back to the world of politics, but this time as a U.S. Senator, because like you even mentioned off air, you age differently when you're in politics. It's just a different ball game. So from private sector to to deep level politics, go. Well, I'll I'll tell you this, you know, when my wife and I, because you you mentioned about when we visited before, you were kind and asked me about public office. And honestly, we knew God had another race in us, but I really thought it was going to be much further down the road. You know, my kids are 16 and 13. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married 20 years. It'll be 21 years next month. So our marriage will be legal next year. I like to joke and say <laughs> it'll be of legal age. But, you know, I thought that God's race and plan for us would be four or five years when our kids are out of the house. Uh, I'll be 48, 49. I'm 44 today. Uh, but, you know, when so when the seat came open, when we first saw that it was going to happen, I just sent my wife a little picture of a tweet that I saw. And uh, I thought she was going to email back or text back a guy running and jumping into a lake. But what she said <laughs> back stopped me in my tracks, Kyle. She said, uh, babe, you're God's guy. I'm your girl. Let's go. And uh, we've been running hard ever since, man. So the transition from private sector to burning a campaign, uh, it has been a challenge in some areas, but I tell you, it's been so rewarding. We're out there every day talking to Oklahomans. We started a hundred city tour in less than a hundred days. So we're in four or five stops a day and we get to go out and meet what's best about Oklahoma, which is our people. But I can tell you, people are hurting from the Biden administration and from the failed policies of the left. And that's why I'm running for U.S. Senate. Fair enough. So uh, on the June 29th primary, you got 17 and a half percent of the vote. Uh, so in first place is the man you'll be doing the runoff election against on August the 23rd. Uh, that's Mark Wayne Mullen, who got 43.6 percent of the vote. So obviously you knew this question was coming. How do you and your team plan to make up all that ground on Mark Wayne Mullen? And I mean, I guess just in general, what do you think of Mark Wayne Mullen? And because it's it's just kind of one of those things is like when you look at the disparity between the two vote getters, you know, you're going to have to literally do make, make some things happen if you're going to like overcome that gap. So give me a sense of what you and your team are doing. Well, well, first, you have to understand, Kyle, that the primary election is a very different election than a runoff election. And the two don't necessarily correlate. In fact, uh, runoffs are a complete restart. Uh, And we know this because people like our governor, Kevin Stitt, congressman from the first district, Kevin Hearn, our lieutenant governor, Matt Pinnell, uh, our corporation commissioner, uh, Dana Murphy, they all came in second in their primary and they went on to win the runoff. So runoffs are completely different, um, are a completely different election. And frankly, uh, when you look at where we are, where we started, being in second place in Oklahoma and a runoff is probably a better place to start because the truth is the front runner, 57% of the people in the runoff, I'm sorry, in the primary voted against the front runner in this race. And so we're going after that 57%. We're meeting voters exactly where they are. We're talking to them one-on-one because we know turnout in the runoff is so much, uh, there's such a decrease in turnout Hmm. that anything can happen, but we're not taking anything for granted. We're well poised. We're having uh, conversations with voters one-on-one uh, we're raising money and we're doing everything that needs to be done to be successful in this election because there's too much at stake. I mean, listen, my record as a, as a civil servant uh, and also in the private sector has been one of 
providing jobs. There's been one when I was in the legislature of reducing taxes, reducing the size of government, limiting government, reducing the, the tax burden, reducing the, the debt that Oklahoma owes. That's my record and that's what I'm running on. So uh, I, I asked this and you you kind of, you didn't skate around. I asked you a loaded question, but you and Mark Wayne Mullen both seem deeply likable as humans, right? For, for, for different reasons. And so it's, it's usually hard whenever it's easier when you can look at somebody and be like, Oh, well that person's dead or that person sucks on the mic or that person's just really doesn't seem like a nice person that you want to go out and have dinner with, but you both seem very, very likable. So what do you think of Mark Wayne Mullen as a person? Have you spent much time interacting with him personally, or is he just a guy on the other side of the ticket? Kyle, you know, the thing about Republican primaries, they're tough because they're family fights, right? And, yeah, and right. often finding areas where you disagree with people, it's tough to do. And the truth is, Mark Wayne and I, we've been friends for over a decade. I mean, we're personal friends. He's been to my home before. Uh, we, we've, we've broken bread together. We, we share text messages that would probably, if anybody saw, wouldn't get any either one of us elected because we're just good friends and we, we've hung out together. Uh, but but the, but the truth is, this is a competition. Uh, and I'm not running against anybody. I'm running for a seat. I'm running to be the next United States Senator for Oklahoma because I believe I have a skill set that can go to Washington, D.C. and make a difference. And I think, you know, I have a record of accomplishment to, to stand on. I'll just tell you a little bit about me because I know you and I know each other, hmm. but many people may be listening don't. My story is pretty simple. I grew up in western Oklahoma. I'm from Lawton. I had the two parents every kid deserved to have. They raised me in church. And when you're raised in a black Baptist church and your dad's a deacon, your, your, your grandfather's a deacon at the church, then that often means that every Sunday, some little lady walks up to you and tells you every Sunday, you're going to be a preacher one day. And that used to bother me to no end because I didn't believe God called me to be a preacher, but I knew that he had a plan and a purpose for my life. So I grew up with that expectation. And because of the grace of God and the goodness of the people in those church and the expectation my parents had for me, by the time I was 40 years old, I'm 44 today, I had a chance to finish college and finish law school. I was able to work for two members of Congress. I worked for my tribe, the Chickasaw Nation. And then I had a chance when I was 27 to be elected to the Oklahoma legislature. When I was 33, my colleagues elected me speaker. And by the time I was 40 years old, I was the CEO of a bank. And I'm not telling you that to brag on me. I'm telling you that to brag on the United States of America, because that story only happens in the United States of America. It can't happen anywhere else. And that's why I'm running for the U.S. Senate, because that story has to be perpetuated. And if we continue to send the same people to Washington, D.C. that we have, we're not going to be able to tell that story because that story won't be able to exist anymore. Well, I want to ask a quick follow up on that, because, again, everywhere you look, whether you're looking on Twitter or you're looking in K through 12 schools where you're looking on TikTok, there is this narrative that is basically seen as old hat. It's seen as baked into the cake at this point that there is a structural racism in this country that keeps people like yourself. Well, I say like yourself, people that look like you down and elevate people that look like me as if by dint of the level of melanin in our skin that uh, helps us to basically determine all of our steps as we move forward. Now, obviously, I know that you personally, you've been called a lot of names. You've been called some horrifically racist names from white liberals, right? That that will look at you, you know, oh, you're an Uncle Tom or oh, you're, you're a house coon or you know, any number of things, just the worst things that people could think to say about somebody. Yeah. Do you think it's because of just their own their own racist ideas that they feel like you shouldn't be a CEO of a bank because you're black. You shouldn't be able to go to law school and do well because you were black. Like, where does that ideal 
come from. It's so hard for me, somebody that looks at everybody as if they have the image of God written on them because they do, and to see them like, oh, there's that black man over there, as opposed to there's TW, right? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you bring up a good point. I've said it before. America is not the home of systemic racism. It is the home of systemic opportunity. And there is a narrative out there that, that pretends and purports to put people in the categories. You see, the, the, the reason the left likes to do that, Kyle, your question was why? Why do they like to segment us in society? It's because the, 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 the smaller the group of people that you can segment, the easier they are to control. And that's exactly what the left's purpose is. They're all about control. They want to be able to control. And so when they find a T.W. Shannon, somebody who doesn't fit their narrative, somebody who believes in the value of hard work, who believes that you know every person was created in God's image. And, and because the truth is here, it goes back to worldview. And you and I have talked about this before. There are only two worldviews in the world. You either believe that God created man or you believe that man created God. And if you believe that God created man like I do, then you believe that every single person you meet was created in his image. And our constitution, our, our founding uh, documents reiterate the fact that every person we meet is, 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 is endowed with certain inalienable rights, rights that cannot be taken from them, not because they're a woman, not because of their sexuality or their gender or their race, but because they're a human being. There aren't, that we, we, we kind of lost the culture war when we started allowing um, them to separate outside into different rights. There are only human rights. You have rights because you're a human, not because you're male, not because you're female, not because you're black, not because you're straight, gay, Christian, Muslim. The rights that you possess are because you are a human being and they are inalienable and they come from our creator. I appreciate getting into that because don't you just sound so old fashioned when you describe it that way? But it's just like this wouldn't have seemed old fashioned even like five years ago or six years ago. The cultural revolution is taking off at a pace that I can't even wrap my head around. But to kind of get back into the the swing of of what I want to ask you is – This is kind of an easy one, but does it feel like all you have to do to be in the United States Senate is to beat Mark Wayne? Because like to a degree, like I don't know that it's going to be that much of a battle for you or Mark Wayne to be the the second Republican senator to basically go and represent the state of Oklahoma in the United States Senate. Does it feel that way? Like I know you don't want to put the cart before the horse and start focusing on the general or something like that. But to me, to the outside observer, all you have to do is beat Mark Wayne and you're in. Does it feel that way? Um, well, we certainly take it one race at a time. I mean, my focus right now is the runoff. It's August 23rd. Uh, on my website, TW for Senate, we're talking about how we are the candidate pushing back against the woke agenda. And the reason is because, listen, it's not enough just to be right anymore. And it's not enough just to elect somebody who'll go vote the right way 90% of the time. Because the truth is, conservatives have to go on the offense. That's what we're missing now, Kyle. We have to have conservatives who will go on the offense because we're right on taxes, we're right on life, we're right on defense, we're right on the border, uh, but it's not enough to be right because after you beat the the, the, the woke uh, Democrats in Congress, then you got to have somebody who can turn around and beat the woke media. Oh, by the way, after you beat the woke media, now you have woke corporations that you have to contend with. Yeah. I'm the only candidate in this race that has a skill set to do that. I've done it uh, in the private sector. I've done it in the public sector, and I'm going to be continuing to do it. But more specifically to your question, you know, there's no question Oklahoma is a solidly red state, and and whoever wins the runoff is favored to win the November general election. But I don't take anything for granted. The truth is, there's going to be a well-funded former congresswoman 
who, who is personal friends with Nancy Pelosi. And there's no, no doubt that Washington, D.C., whether Democrat or Republican, the swamp takes care of the swamp. And so there will be tons of money. We saw it in the in the general in the runoff. I'm sorry, in the primary election where three super PACs from Washington, D.C. were spending money against us. Uh, and we know that the swamp takes care of the swamp. Part of me wants you to be elected just so people could like, you know, people that are on the coast, they're like, wait a minute, Oklahoma elected a black senator, right? Because yeah. they just look at us as a bunch of like racists, like riding around in covered wagons. So part of me just wants that to see their heads explode. But I know you've gotten a lot of very prominent endorsements as a part of this run up to uh, not only the primary, but then this runoff as well. But one notable endorsement that you didn't get was from former president Donald Trump. He actually endorsed Mark Wayne Mullen, which is my understanding. And I know that you and Trump are personal friends that you were, you know, almost part of the Trump administration as one of his cabinet members and all those different things. And so for you, what are, what are your thoughts around that? Like, why do you think Trump endorsed your opponent and not you? And kind of how does that, I guess, make you feel, even though I, I, feelings don't really or shouldn't matter in politics? But how does that feel? Does it feel like maybe you were betrayed a little bit or, you know, how do you, I guess, overcome that if there is even such a thing? You know, listen, in politics, you have ups and downs all the time. And, and you, you know, and, and first of all, I'm not going to try to jump in the head of Donald Trump and make predictions about what he was thinking when he did that. I will say this, though. Uh, Donald Trump isn't always right on endorsements. The truth is he also endorsed Mitt Romney in 16 and he endorsed him again in 2020. So we know that the president doesn't always get it right on the endorsements. But the truth is what I've always done and what I've always believed in is the America first agenda. And that doesn't change regardless of personalities. The idea of reducing debt, pushing back against China, because the real question that people are asking right now, Kyle, is is this century going to be American led or is it going to be Chinese-led? In order for it to be American-led, we have to have the America First policy. And I certainly have credentials. Um, I'm very proud of the work that I've done in support of the America First agenda. And certainly uh, what, my, what my family always taught me, what my mom always taught me, is you do things because you do it out of love. And I did what I did for this country, what I will continue to do, because I love America. And uh, when you do things out of love, you don't do it expecting anything in return. This country and this state have been very, very good to me. And I do believe to whom much is given, much is required. And that's why I'm the biggest advocate you're going to ever find about the America First agenda, regardless of who's at head of that. Uh, who's the head of that movement. Well, we're going to get into very specific things about policy here in just a minute, but to even kind of, and this could play off the Trump thing or play off something else. Um, in 2024, obviously everybody thinks in four year cycles, which is weird because there's a whole lot of days and a whole lot of hours and a whole lot of minutes in between your general election cycles, guys go live your life. Like don't worry about who the president is so much. But for me as a Republican, I'm desperately hoping that Donald Trump does not run for president in 2024. Uh, I, I, pretty sure he's going to do that. I think that that is the only thing that can save the Democratic Party uh, because they've already beaten uh, Donald Trump with a dead candidate. And so who's to say they couldn't beat him with a further dead candidate? And now you've got January 6th, which you know people have their own opinions about that. But for me, I personally want him to get out of the way and allow someone else like a Ron DeSantis or a Nikki Haley or a Ted Cruz or somebody else that can come up and represent the Republican Party in 2024. And it's mainly about the direction of America in general, because regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, 
no one has a neutral opinion on the guy. And so it's an either a desperate love or a desperate hate for that man. So for you particularly, if you had to put your your finger on one person or, or even a group of people that you would want to see run to represent the United States and the Republican Party in the 2024 general election for president, who would it be? Well, I'll say this. I don't. I wouldn't get ahead of Donald Trump. He has not announced that he's running for president. Uh, but there's certainly, if, if he doesn't, and even if he does, I think there's going to be a huge uh, uh, slate of really qualified, capable men and women uh, representing the Republican Party. And and certainly any one of them, uh, names that I've heard would be better than Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or certainly Gavin Newsom. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it's time for us to get ahead and start thinking about 2024. We've got work to do for 2022. We're in this midterm. And frankly, uh, we need to take back the House. We need to do everything we can to take back the Senate. But in addition to that, we need leaders who are going to represent Republican values and not just go along with the establishment. You know, there is a uniparty in Washington, D.C., regardless of the jersey that's on your shirt. The truth is, once people get to Washington, D.C., and they've been in that swamp for a really long time, you'll see uh, them siding way too much with the Democrats. We need Republicans who can go on the offense, and we should be focused, in my opinion, on the midterm elections because we don't have this wrapped up. I know everyone thinks, well, Joe Biden's terrible and he is, he's been, you know, his numbers are in the tank and they are, that's all true. But I also remember when they told us before that, you know, after the financial collapse back in 2008, that, you know, there's no way Barack Obama could ever win reelection. Things are too bad. He'll never win again. It's the Republicans to lose. Listen, we have to stay focused on these midterm elections. And for me, I'm laser focused on August 23rd, the state of Oklahoma's next United States senator, which I believe is going to be T.W. Shannon, because I'm the candidate who has been here fighting for the America First uh, agenda, uh, who has reduced the size of government, who has fought against federal encroachment and has continued to, to advocate for a less smaller government and less taxes and a, and a smaller tax burden. So what do you think? Because I think it's pretty much a wrap that the Republicans will take over the House. I don't think there's there's anything that could happen between now and November that would prevent that. I'm not as uh, optimistic about the Senate turning red because there have been some very weak candidates in my uh, in my estimation that are being ran. Mehmet Oz in, in Pennsylvania and Herschel Walker in, in Georgia. Like there are some very, very winnable races seemingly that Republicans have put up just absolutely flummoxing candidates. And I'm just like, how, how is this person the person? So how do you, uh, how do you look at the odds, I guess, of the United States Senate turning over to being red? Yeah, there's no question that this is going to be good Republican environment. I mean, the environment is good for Republicans. I mean, Americans have seen, and they've had a really good taste of socialism under Mm -hmm. Joe Biden. I don't think they like it very well, whether you're talking about record inflation, you're talking about the crime crisis, the open border where we have 2.5 million people that came into our country illegally. We've got record number of Chinese fentanyl coming across the border. Uh, In fact, uh, we had enough to kill every American seven times over. Uh, We've seen where Chinese fentanyl overdoses has become the number one leading cause of death for young people 18 to 26 years old, more than more than cancer, more than car wrecks, more than COVID is Chinese fentanyl. And this is all the responsibility of Joe Biden. Now, having said that, uh, the environment is, is really good for Republicans to take over both the House and Senate because it is a midterm and historically uh, the opposing party from the White House usually does. But I think you're right. 
Um, many of our candidates, we have not elected the strongest candidates uh, to win those elections. Uh, but it's still early. There's still a lot of time on the clock. And I think there's still a lot of ground to be made. Um, I think you're right. In Georgia, uh, Herschel's got a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, but we've got some other states where I think it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to come down to the wire and Republicans are going to have to really step up our game uh, because we, again, uh, we're, we're getting outraised in a lot of those states. And we're just seeing um, a, a, a really a, a gap uh, between the 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 incumbent, oftentimes, and certainly uh, a Republican newcomer. So we've got a lot of work to do. I'm hopeful, uh, but I'm very cautious. I'm not nearly as optimistic as maybe some are. Right. So uh, let's spend a little bit more time talking about co-president Biden. I say co-president because he's definitely not running the show. There's somebody else or a group of somebody else's that are helping him uh, around and putting around the, the White House all day long. But we're not even halfway through. Joe Biden's first term as president. Okay. So in my opinion, and in the opinions of tens of millions of Americans at this point, his presidency has been an abject failure on every single level possible. It, it's, it doesn't even make sense that we're not even two years into this thing. And we've yeah. seen just this unbelievable degradation of our country overall. So just give us your thoughts on Joe Biden as president and on the administration that he's, I guess, supposedly in charge of. Well, you know, probably the worst president in American history. I mean, and and, and it's only getting worse, right? I mean, I can't think of one successful achievement that this administration has accomplished, not one. Uh, And they've had all they were they inherited an improving economy. Uh, They inherited a a vaccine Mm -hmm. uh, to 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 um, to combat COVID. They inherited so many amazing um, opportunities that they completely have blown. I mean, but this all started you know, back even during the campaign, Kyle. I mean, you think back to a president that they kept in hiding, that they wouldn't allow to address the American people. We knew something was going on with Joe Biden, but we didn't know exactly how bad it was because they kept it hidden from us. But we should have known. I think it came to light. I think Americans first became aware of how bad things were when we saw him trip up those stairs. And again, yeah. anybody can trip. I've tripped sure. before. Yeah. And I'm six four. And uh, when I trip and I fall, I fall hard. It ain't pretty. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not literally as graceful as maybe he did. But the problem there was instead of owning up to what happened, the response, the official response from the White House was that there was a strong wind that blew over the president of the United States walking up the steps. Literally, mm-hmm. they tried to convince uh, the American people that he was blown up the steps. So it was one of those don't believe your lying eyes. Yep. And that's exactly what they've continued to do. They've been unable to level with the American people. And when you have no trust, there is no relationship between the American people and this and this president. And what this president has done, he has united the American people. He, he promised unity. And let me tell you, they have united. They are, American people are in agreement north of 70 percent. They do not want Joe Biden to have another four years. And so I'm confident Republicans are going to uh, do very well. But it is all because of the failed promises, the the the, um, the the secrecy and the lying to the American people and trying to convey. We even see it now, right? They've tried to reestablish what a, a girl is. They've tried to reestablish the definition of what a boy is. They've tried to reestablish now the definition of what inflation is. They've right. tried to reestablish what the definition of a recession, of, of a recession. Even. Yeah, this is over and over again them telling you, don't believe your lying eyes. And uh, it, it's, it's sad because I would hope that for our country to 
to be in a better position, but we're not because we elected the wrong guy. Well, and the thing about it was, is I had conversations with a lot of people before the 2020 presidential election and asked them who they plan to vote for. And if they plan to vote for Joe Biden, I asked them why. And their answer had nothing to do with Joe Biden or democratic policies or the direction of the country it had to do with Donald Trump. They're like, I, I talked to a guy that I very, very well-meaning guy. I respect him very much. He said, I can't have a vote for a guy like Donald Trump on my record. Like that, that was kind of how he said, but then I'm like, but, but, but wait, you're not just voting for someone you're voting against something else. And it's like, you're not just voting for a person you're voting for an administration. I may not like, like Donald Trump personally, but I loved what the Donald Trump administration did. Right. The, the things in the people that he had in office, the people that he had around him, like somehow Joe Biden isn't nearly as bad as the people that he's gotten put around him. Like it's a, it's a bad thing for overall direction in the country, in my opinion. But now I want us to get a little uh, granular TW. I want us to get us into some specific things that I think are very, very important to the generalized public here in the United States. And I want to know specifically how you would address these problems facing America while serving in the United States Senate. So we just talked about it. Let's talk about the economy. So we've talked about how the Biden administration is trying to say, oh, you know, this isn't a recession. You know, two straight quarters of, of negative growth is not a recession. Oh, it's this and it's that. But inflation, recession, spending, national debt, overall, you know, so on and so forth. So as one of 100 United States senators, how would you address that problem? Well, a couple of things, Kyle. The first thing we need to do, we need to get back to a balanced budget in Washington, D.C. Or, or, or a budget at all. Uh, that may be a good start. But certainly a balanced budget amendment, I think, is key. We balance, when I speak of the House, we balance our budget here in Oklahoma. We balance our budget at the bank. There's no way in the world that with the, uh, with the amount of debt that the United States has, that there's no way in the world that they could sh show me their P&L and that as a banker, I would ever finance the United States of America mm. with its um, uh, you know, fiscal house in shambles as it is. So we need to restore, restore fiscal sanity and stop the spending out of Washington, D.C. But in addition to that, uh, more specifically, as it relates to uh, how do we address inflation, I think it's three, three things. Number one, uh, we have to um, we, we should we should begin uh, by making the tax the, the Trump tax cuts permanent. That's the first thing we should do to address inflation. Number two, we need to encourage drilling in the United States of America. We shouldn't only be energy independent. We should be energy dominant. You know, the fact that Joe Biden has recently been seen, you know, fist bumping dictators in the Middle East, begging them for oil instead of coming to Oklahoma and asking our drillers, uh, the guys that drill for oil and gas here in our state, uh, to encourage them? Or what about fist bumping the people who lost their job on the Keystone Pipeline that he canceled? Those are the people who should be fist bumping. So, you know, restoring American energy is a big part of the um, uh, inflationary tales that we see right now. But third, and this is one that doesn't get spoken about nearly as much, and I've been very uh, adamant on the campaign trail about it. Uh, as a banker, I will tell you, I am very, very concerned about the Federal Reserve and the influence that they have over all things American policy. Uh, they should be audited immediately. Um, I'm calling for an audit of the Federal Reserve because their lack of, 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 of responsiveness to the rising inflation that we saw where they told us it was only transitory. They have one job and one job only, and that's, that was to supposedly 
to control inflation, and they completely dropped the ball. So I think we should audit the Federal Reserve. And so one thing I do need to kind of mention here as well, guys, we're about to go over a lot of different topics, and it's going to be impossible for us to really, really dig in because I know guys are screaming, well, ask him this as a follow-up and ask him this as a follow-up. But again, we, we just won't have time to do that. So we're going to stay 30,000 foot view just to kind of get an overall idea of kind of where you sit on these issues. So I appreciate you getting into the economy. Now, let, me, let me say this too, though. If they've got further follow-up, they can always hit me on my website, TW for Senate, or they can certainly check me out on any social media platforms. I do respond uh, myself personally, I try to respond to all. I'm not always possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things too, that we see with the economy TWs, you look at the fed and you look at Janet Yellen, you look at all these people and it's just like, Oh, these people are like, Ooh, whoopsies. I made a mistake. And it's like, sorry, you don't get a whoopsies. Like you don't, you don't get that with, with your job. You don't get to make mistakes like that. You don't get to say, and cause the thing is, is like, they will just deny that they've made a mistake until it gets so evident that they made a mistake and then they'll just be like, oh, shucks. And it's just like, no, we, we shouldn't be able to accept that from people who are unelected uh, folks that are just basically bureaucrats that are you know clogging up the system there in Washington. So that's the economy. Now we need to move on to something you mentioned earlier in the podcast, and that's illegal immigration. We have a wide open southern border, right? Like, obviously, I think uh, Senator Langford did a great job a few months ago when he described that we have encountered since the beginning of the Joe Biden administration, we've encountered people from every single country in the world at our southern border since Joe Biden has taken president. That includes countries that hate us. That includes terrorist countries. That includes all kinds of things. And they're just coming in. And again, however bad the numbers are, they're definitely worse. Because like it's worse than we could possibly imagine the amount of fentanyl coming in through the country, uh, the amount of people that are being just like crushed by by the social services that aren't able to be brought to bear for these folks. You have people in Washington D.C. and uh, the mayor of of New York City are uh, uh, basically talking about, oh my gosh, we have all these immigrants. What are we going to do? What are we going to be able to do about this illegal immigration crisis? Because it literally is a crisis, and I kind of stop short of saying it's an invasion, but it feels that way, does it not? Well, it is an invasion. Let me push back on one thing you said, Kyle. Yep. You said that social services can't keep up. I want to disagree with that. Okay. Uh, no, we've got, you know, that that's part of the problem. We, we actually are providing an amazing amount of investment in social services because of the politicians in D.C. They have prioritized illegal aliens over the needs of American citizens. I mean, listen, 2.5 million people crossed our border illegally last year. 2.5 million. That's about half. That's more than half the state of Oklahoma. That's an entirely new state. And I used to think it was just gross negligence and incompetence from Kamala Harris and the likes of Joe Biden. But I've come to realize it's more than that. This is a deliberate effort to undermine our republic. Uh, I believe that with all my heart that the radical left is trying to destabilize the American government by allowing illegals to come in our country. The first thing we need to do is we should build the wall. I know people try to make walls be controversial, whether or not they work. And I can just tell you, I have toured McAllister Prison in McAllister, Oklahoma. I can assure you, walls do work. They keep yep. people in and they keep people out. The second thing we need to do, we need to secure our border. We need to know who's coming into our country. This is not a matter of, of immigration. It's not a matter of race like the left likes to portray it. This is a matter of national security. You must know who's coming into your country or you cease to be a country. It is a deliberate uh, attack on American sovereignty. But the third thing that I think we need to do, and I'm the only candidate in this race that's called for this, we should end this notion of birthright citizenship. You know, this idea, we, we got to go back to the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment, which recognizes birthright citizenship, it was never intended for people who entered our, broke our laws and entered our country illegally. The 14th Amendment was intended for American 
slaves, slaves that were American, that were in America, um, primarily located in the South, that their children and their grandchildren would become citizens of the United States, not people that came here and broke our laws illegally. So we should end birthright citizenship, birthright citizenship and all the other uh, financial incentives in social services, welfare programs that are subsidizing uh, illegal immigrants over the needs of American citizens. Yeah, I'm glad you addressed the race element with this description, because anytime you get into this debate about illegal immigration, you get people that'll say these bumper sticker slogans like people can't be illegal and you just don't want them in our country because of because they're brown or because they don't look like you. It's like, no, it's like I, I'm concerned about all the things that we've talked about. I'm concerned about the 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 plight of the generalized American over somebody that's just walking across the border. Because if you don't have walls, you don't have a country. If you don't have walls, you don't have a house, right? You talked about it with the, with the prison here. If you don't have walls, you don't have a prison. So it's a, it's a very controversial topic, but it's one that's incredibly important to the overall future of this country. And now we need to talk about China. So obviously uh, we've seen a lot of people that think China has now supplanted the United States as the dominant hegemon in, in public society in the world. Uh, you can look at them financially. Now, obviously you could say that you could find some metrics that prove that, but it's like, it's the difference between a country that, you know, is built on liberty and freedom in a country that is built on totalitarianism top down, right? But how do you deal with, as a United States Senator, the rise of China, their overall aggressiveness towards America and their, their seeming, you know, goal of trying to dominate the entire world? Peace through strength. That's the way you do it, Kyle. I mean, we should be leading the world uh, right now as it relates to containing China. And the president that we have in the White House now has failed to do it. He's incapable or unwilling. You know, I was one of the two reasons I was suspect of Joe Biden from the very beginning as president. Number one, I know about his racist past. I remember Joe Biden and all the comments he made uh, about African American males and how, about African American males and how he led the effort in the '90s for the crime bill, where he where he called African American males super predators, and and during the campaign where he said if you don't vote for him, you're not black. I, so I was suspect of him then, mm. uh, and while he you know he was a a a, a really a a, um, a you know under the tutelage of one of the grand wizards of the of the KKK, Robert Beard, and how he spoke at his funeral. So I've been suspect of him for that reason. But I was also suspect of Joe Biden because of his years of dealing with the Chinese communist government, his butting up. The reason that we are in the state that we are right now are because of politicians like Joe Biden, who's on record saying China's not a threat. They're not a competition. He has said it over and over publicly. And so I knew once Beijing Biden got into office, we were going to be exactly where we are, where we're not standing up to China, where we're allowing them to encroach upon American sovereignty, where we're seeing them as the dominant force uh, in so many regions of the world because America is retreating under Joe Biden. We have to lead. We can not only not only can we compete with the Chinese, because we certainly can, we can win and beat the Chinese, whether it be through technology. And the reason is, is because it's not because of our DNA in America. We don't have we're not superior because we have superior DNA. I don't believe in that at all. What I believe is we have a superior value system. And our value is that of liberty over, as you mentioned, totalitarianism. You know, the Chinese, and it all starts because we value human life above everything else. Mm. The Chinese as a culture have never valued human life. You know, if you lose a couple of, of, of million people, big deal to them. We have valued human life in this country. And that, and if you, and by the way, if you don't value human life, you're not going to value the environment. You're not going to value wildlife. And you see that happening and playing out in China's culture 
over and over again. So, yeah, they're going to be a competitor with us, but we have to have the strongest military in the world. There can be no competition. We have to get our fiscal house in order and we have to secure our border. All three will make us stronger in dealing and containing with the Chinese communist government. Well, let's talk a little bit more about life, because obviously with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, uh, one of the greatest days in the history of this country, in the history of the world, uh, frankly. And, you know, it's still to be determined how that's going to play out as we move into the future. But great, great uh, day is a day that I never thought would come. But the battle for life isn't over. You know, for a lot of people, I said, hey, that Friday night after uh, the, you know, the Dobbs decision, hey, I, I have smoked a cigar, popped a new bottle of whiskey, but it's like, hey, Saturday morning, hey, the battle really starts now. Like, let's really, really get after it. So as a United States senator, obviously, there's not a whole lot that you can do from the legislative standpoint uh, in terms of what types of cases are going to the Supreme Court or what types of challenges are going to come. But what can be done as a United States senator to make sure that the battle for life is is over and done with that. No, we will not be killing unborn babies in this country. Is there a constitutional amendment? Like, what are the things that you can do as a United States senator? Well, I would support, certainly support any effort uh, to protect the sanctity of life. Listen, I'm, I'm as um, uh, pro-life as they come, Kyle. I just believe the reason governments are created is for the protection of people. And again, it, it, it goes back to that worldview. Either you believe God created man or you believe that man created God. And as someone who believes that God created man in his image, uh, I believe that unborn children uh, deserve the same civil rights as born children. Civil rights begin in the womb, in my opinion, not just uh, the sanctity of life, but even even still, we have a commitment to life after children are born. And that's why when I was in the state legislature, you know, I passed legislation, the first in the state to allow for a five thousand dollar tax credit for adoptions uh, for for people who are in foster for people who uh, care for foster care children. Uh, It's something that I feel very passionate about as a pro-life a movement, and we should be doing that. We should be doing more in the areas of technology, supporting our um, our our uh, locations that allow uh, pregnancy resource centers that w- that aid women who are in need, young girls who are vulnerable. And w- the first thing we need to do, honestly, is we need to defund and abolish Planned Parenthood. Uh, Planned Parenthood is responsible for over 400,000 black babies killed every single year. Uh, They target African-American babies. It's a racist organization. Its founder, Margaret Sanger, uh, found the organization for the sole purpose of annihilating uh, the the African-American race weeds weeds of the society, as she referred to black babies. Uh, We should end Planned Parenthood. We should defund it and we should abolish it. That would do a lot. Uh, we, We send over a half billion dollars worth of government paid tax funder subsidies to Planned Parenthood. And we know that they're targeting vulnerable women in, in communities of color. And that should end immediately. All right. Now we uh, we need to get into the subject of wokeness. So you talked about wokeness. You've uh, pushed back against it several times in this already. We've seen this in K through 12 schools. We've seen it at universities. We've now seen it in places I never thought we'd see it. Big business, big tech, the military. Well, big tech, I guess we could have assumed that that was going to happen. But how can we push back against, and for you again, as a United States Senator, how do you push back against something that isn't as tangible as, you know, a water bottle or a pen in your hand? It's an idea. It's like, how do you fight against an ideology? Go. Yeah, well, it stems again. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but that idea of of worldview, again, uh, this secular humanist worldview that has invaded our culture, which says that there are no absolute truths, that the truth is all relative, that frankly, we can, you know, you can have your truth, I can have my truth, and and so long as we do no harm, 
that's all hogwash. There are absolute truths, and we have to go back to what made the country great to start with. And again, it's the core principles of America. It's capitalism, it's Christianity, and it's the Constitution. That's what made this country great. And that's how you push back against wokeness. But also, we have to have leaders, Kyle, who aren't afraid to go into the to the den of lions and to speak truth to power, who's not, who are willing, you know, leaders who are willing to take the fight to the Democrats because we ceded too much ground. We've allowed them, you know, we've ceded and allowed teachers unions to completely usurp our schools. We've allowed uh, our college campuses to be saturated with this, you know, liberal dogma and doctrine. And we just kind of are, are content with it. And we send our kids and we pray that they turn out okay. We've allowed the media to be corrupted. Uh, and certainly uh, when we talk about big tech, we see it and other corporations, we have to unite. We have to have leaders who will speak truth to power, who aren't afraid to stand up and say enough is enough and who can push back against that woke agenda. And that's actually why I'm running for the Senate. You know, having served as the national chair of Black Voices for Trump, that's what we did. We woke up every single day and said, how can we identify where wokeness exists in this country and devise a plan to push against it? Something I've spent my career doing because I think it is fundamentally unfair to pit Americans as either, you, you know, the, the CRT which teaches the whole premise of you're either the oppressed or you're the oppressor. And uh, I refuse to allow my children to grow up in an America that has that ideology. This is the home of Frederick Douglass, a man who stood the first African-American run for president, a Republican, by the way, who stood his ground and said that all people are created equal. And he challenged this country, just like Martin Luther King and just like others have, to live up to the true meaning of its creed that we all are created equal. That's what America stood for. We can't allow the radical left to try to take us back, which is exactly what we see happening. And we, it starts with the right leadership. I completely agree with that. Uh, we have a tremendous, uh, almost epidemic level lack of leadership in this country right now, seemingly. Now, I know you're hyper-focused on August the 23rd and getting to that date and everything like that, but I'm sure you've at least thought about this, so I have to ask, what are you going to do if you lose? Like, I'm assuming they'll let you come back to the bank or do any of those things, but like, have you thought about, hey, what's life going to look like if I don't win this runoff and don't end up going towards trying to be in the U.S. Senate? Listen, I'm all in for the United States of America, Kyle. And whether it's in the private sector or the public sector, you're going to find me advocating for the things I believe in, which is making this country great again, the Constitution, capitalism, and Christianity. And uh, but, but certainly, you know, my focus right now is on August 23rd. And I just believe to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, this, I, I don't believe our founders intended for people to go to Washington and to be there forever. Um, I, I, that's why I'm a big proponent of term limits. I think that part of the challenge we have now, the reason the swamp is so powerful is because we've allowed politicians to go there and spend decades there. And, you know, just over the last decade, we've seen our national debt, tri you know, double, nearly double from $16 trillion to $30 trillion in less than 10 years. That means that every American child born, I know you've got a young family, every child born in this country inherited $122,000 worth of national debt because of the politicians in Washington, D.C. Scripture says we should leave our children and grandchildren an inheritance, not strap them with endless debt. And so um, I don't I haven't thought you know, about what's after August 23rd, because my entire focus is how do we uh, leave a better America 
from the America that was handed to me because that's what stewardship is about. And that's what my focus in. I, you know, I, I've got a work ethic. I know how to earn a living for my family. I know how to go out and work in the private sector. I've done it a number of times. And uh, the only reason I do public service, I got to be honest, there's no ego in it for me. Uh, you know, when I was running, when I was Speaker of the House, Kyle, one of the interesting uh, things you get to do as speaker, you have to go out and recruit people to run. Mm-hmm. And what I later, what I came to find out is people run for one or two reasons. They either want to do something or they want to be something. I don't have anything that I want to be. Uh, this country has been great to me, but what I do want to make sure that I'm doing is using my gifts and talents to do everything I can to save America. Because I do think uh, we are just a couple elections away from a complete socialist takeover. And I refuse to be the generation that allows this country to go down on my watch, not on my watch. Well, I appreciate the the sentiment there. And something that's come out throughout a lot of your answers in this interview is your Christian faith. I mean, your Christian faith is not just front and center in your life. It's front and center in this campaign. So tell us why that specifically is so important to you in the job that you're applying to be, which is a United States senator. Yeah. You know, there's people often ask the question as an elected official, is it your job to be an ambassador or is it your job to be an, an overseer of the people? In my opinion, you know, my job is to be an advocate, an ambassador for the people that send me there. I believe that people know best about how to govern, and that's what living in a republic is. And so it's important for them to understand what my worldview is and what shapes my decision making. Because again, in Washington, you do have to make tough decisions. You have to make tough votes. And people need to understand what is the core that you're operating from? From whence do you derive your source of information, your worldview? How do you make your decisions uh, when the when the chips are down and things are important? And it's important for them to understand the Judeo-Christian heritage and belief. That is the system from which I operate. Sure, there are other great systems too, I'm sure, but I don't know about those. This is the system that I know. This is the system that has worked for me. And frankly, it's the same system that built the greatest country the world has ever seen. And so um, I, I don't I don't throw my Christian faith around as a as a person. I mean, listen, there's not a greater example of God saving grace than T.W. Shannon. I mean, uh, he has been very, very good to me. And uh, the only reason I get to do what I do is not because of anything I've done to earn it, uh, it is all because of unmerited favor. But I do believe to whom much is given, much is required. And I believe I've got a skill set that can go to Washington, D.C., that can speak truth to power and push back against this radical liberal agenda that is not only threatening the the um, that not only threatening the economy of America, not only threatening the long term viability of America, but it's threatening even the safety and the identity of America. That's why I'm running. I absolutely appreciate that. I appreciate you going in all that detail. Now, the last time you were on the show, we did a little segment towards the end that I'm sure you're familiar with. It was the, what would you say to someone that said segment? Now, this is our lightning round. So what I'm going to do with you, and I know you're, you're good at this because you do the, you do the hits on Fox news and different things like that. But I'm going to say, what would you say to someone They're that said, they not nearly as tough as you are. Kyle. I, I mean, yeah, well, cause I actually asked, I don't have anyone in my earpiece telling me to say this or say that it's just coming from my own brain. So I'm going to just fill in the blank. And here's the deal. Every single one of these that I do, you get a maximum of 30 seconds to give your response, no matter what the topic is. So you up for it? I'm in. All right, let's do it. Let's get the first one here. What would you say to someone that said, I hate the USA? Move. Fair enough. Let's keep this one going. What would you say to someone that said, all Republicans are racist? Wrong. You know, this country uh, is not the home of systemic racism. It's the home of systemic opportunity. And people who try to put us in that category, their sole goal is to control you 
Don't fall for that narrative. Uh, that is a harmful narrative to people. Yes, there are. Racism is real. Racism is a sin. Uh, it comes from the same place that abortion comes from, from the pits of hell. And sin can only be dealt with by the church and by a savior. It cannot be dealt with by government. We've come a long way in this country. We've got a long way to go. But America is the home of systemic opportunity, not systemic racism. All right. Next rapid fire question here. What would you say to someone that said there's no way I could ever support Donald Trump for president? Well, I'll say this. Um, look at the alternative. Look at what we face with, with Joe Biden. I mean, the narrative that was presented to the American people in 2020 was you're either for socialism or you're for racism. Uh, and I just I don't believe in those two um, uh, categories. I don't believe that those are the real. I don't believe in that premise. Uh, the truth is uh, you have to look at candidates and look at their accomplishments. And I will put the America first agenda, uh, the economy under Donald Trump, the, 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 the treaties we saw in the Middle East, the, the, the movement toward American energy, uh, the policies are sound. And I would say judge people based on the policies that they produce uh, and nothing else. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, I do not think T.W. Shannon will be a good senator? Well, um, I would say stay home on August 23rd. You don't need to go to the poll. <laughs> uh, no, no. Honestly, listen, T.W. Shannon is not a perfect man. There are certainly uh, mistakes that I've made. There's certainly uh, challenges that I present. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I will tell you this. Nobody's going to get up early and work harder and be more honest about what it means to be United States Senator from Oklahoma. My gifting, my skill set, it's not only going out and telling you what's wrong with the country, but it's finding solutions and going a step further, finding other people and building coalitions to move things forward. I've done it in the private sector, and I've certainly done it uh, in my public life, too. And that's why I'm running for the Senate, because I think I've got a skill set to do that like nobody else in the race. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said we should keep God out of politics? Well, I will say that that is not what the founding fathers intended. I mean, the founding fathers knew that, you know, this country was built on Christianity. Uh, now, I don't want the government subscribing what our faith should be. Uh, liberty certainly presents the fact that uh, people who have a worldview that is shaped by Christian Judeo-Christian heritage, they should not be excluded from the public square. Uh, we, we allow everything else in our public square. We have to make room for Christianity because it is under attack. It is under attack specifically like no other religion and like no other uh, worldview. And so it should be protected, but it should not be uh, uh, forced down anybody's throat because A, that's not Christianity and B, that's not what America is about. It's about liberty, but we should not shun Christianity from the public square or from government. People who are Christians should be able to exercise their worldview just like everybody else. All right, just a few more here. What would you say to someone that said, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I'm fed up with what's happening in my country? Welcome to the party. The water's warm. Uh, let's go. Uh, the, the truth is Joe Biden has been terrific for the Republican Party because people have seen that this is not your grandfather's Democrat Party. I mean, this radical socialist agenda with these Marxist ideas where they're pitting Americans against Americans, where they're making America the evil of the world, where government has the solution to every single thing. And every answer is, let's spend more money and, and get more taxes from people. Um, that is a losing ideology. And by the way, if you care about poor people, then you should embrace capitalism because it's the only system that's ever moved people from generational poverty into the middle class. That is absolutely true. Two more left here. What would you say to someone that said the United States' place as the dominant world power will soon be at an end? 
never give up on America, Kyle. I mean, there have been people predicting America's downfall for a really long time. And the reason that America has been what Ronald Reagan describes as a city on a shining hill is because of the value system that we have. The idea that every person that you meet was created equally, endowed with certain inalienable rights, uh, that is a fundamental core belief that we can't lose focus of. But if we don't send the right people to Washington, D.C., uh, it is possible for America to lose its way. America, uh, you know, Abe, Abe Lincoln uh, talked about the latest American. There would never be a last American. And I believe that, too. But if we're not careful, if we don't, if we continue to send the same people to Washington that we've been sending, we are going to see a decline in America because that's exactly what the liberal left is trying to achieve. And we've had too many Republicans in Washington, D.C. for decades allowing it to happen. All right. What would you say to someone that said? Mark Wayne Mullen has my vote. Well, I would say check our record. Um, I want to earn your vote. Any person uh, who knows me knows that I'm a Christian. I'm a capitalist. I'm a conservative. I have a record of fighting for limited government. I have a record of reducing debt, not raising debt. I have a, a record of supporting the border, not voting against the border. I have a record of, of, of you know, a bang. I, I'm a big supporter of term limits. I believe that, you know, you shouldn't spend, you know, decade after decade in Washington, D.C., uh, which should be a citizen legislature. So I would say check the record of the candidates and then decide who you like. Well, we've covered a lot of ground in this particular interview, but I know we live in a culture that likes likes things to be distilled down uh, to make them in bite-sized little quantities. So I guess my final question of the day, and this is the big question, this is the ultimate question. On August the 23rd, why should Okies vote for you over Mark Wayne Mullen? Our country's in trouble right now, Kyle. I mean, when you think about where we are with record inflation right now, we've got, uh, we're on the verge of a recession. Uh, some would even argue a depression uh, is on the horizon. I mean, we see our, our country being embarrassed uh, before us on the global stage. And uh, we see uh, people making decisions between whether to fill up their tank, buy medication, or buy groceries. Uh, we have a president who's literally shipping in humanitarian aid because we don't have enough baby formula to feed our own children. That didn't happen overnight. That is a direct result, but because of Joe Biden and the Republicans in Washington, D.C., who've allowed it to happen. I'm running for the United States Senate because I have a record, not only in the public sector, but also in the private sector, of fighting for job creation, fighting for limited government, and knowing that this is still America, America is still the world's last best hope. And if you ever doubt that, give me just a little time. Think back to some images we saw a few months ago in Afghanistan, where mm -hmm. we saw people literally hanging on to the wings of airplanes to try to get to this country. We saw a mother handing her newborn child to a guy who she had never met, who didn't speak her language, who was an invading superpower, who had an M16 on his hip, but she was still willing to give her newborn child to that to that young man because she knew if that child could just get to this place that we call home and the rest of the world calls America, that child could have the most amazing life of any kid in the world. That's why I'm running for the United States Senate, because we've got to keep it that way. I believe that to whom much is given, much is required. And this state and this country have been very good to me. And I would ask for your vote on August 23rd to be the next United States Senator from Oklahoma. Well, TW, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? That's it. Thank you for being my friend, Kyle. I appreciate your ministry. appreciate your listeners. And uh, my website is TW for Senate. Please check us out. That'll be in the show notes. TW Shannon, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks, my friend.
There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed our time with U.S. Senate candidate T.W. Shannon. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the only link I've got for you today is a link to the T.W. for Senate website. So guys, if you're an Oklahoma Republican, make sure you go out and make your voice heard on August the 23rd. Okay, thank you so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.